powerful words, uh, powerful words in the songs that we've been singing. I'm just so thankful for worship, you know, and I just agree with what Chris said right at the very beginning, and that is that sometimes we uh, declare the things we know to be true, even though we may not at the moment feel them or experience them, but we kind of like worship our way into the reality of what God has promised to us and who God is for us. Amen. So I'm, I'm just so glad you're here because every one of us is on a journey. Am I right? Anybody reached their destination yet? I suppose we would have already had your funeral had that been the case. But you're here. And so, uh, but, but what a journey it is. And uh, man, God is, God is up to big and amazing things, right? So I, I just invite you. Now we've come almost uh, to a completion of the first month of 2020. And uh, in this, we are invited into, um, into Made for More. And I, I just want uh, to underscore for you that this is not, not simply uh, intended to be a sermon uh, series, uh, some teachings and so forth, you know, so that we can fill our Sundays. <laughs> I'm sure you could fill your Sundays with many different things today. But the, the goal in this is that we would actually realize that we are indeed made for more, much more than even you or I or anybody here has, has experienced to date. Uh, because God is, is always so much more. God is always so, so amazing. And I hope that you're continually surprised by him in, in many ways. And that you're left with hungering for more. I just want to challenge you again to join with me in allowing your relationship with God to catch fire. I would like to encourage you to not settle. Right? but to allow your relationship with God to catch fire, to, be, um, to fan into flame the, the very things that God has, has done for you in the past or maybe something you've experienced of him in some uh, past time or maybe your own heart just very aware that, that, that you know, either you're burning the, the candle at both ends and that's not going to work out very well or, or the or the Campbell is just smoldering and needs to be um, inflamed again, right? So I, I invite you to do that. I invite you to do that by deciding every week of this year to participate in worship on Sundays with us. And if, uh, and if this is your church, then be at your church. Be together with God's people. Let, let the Word of God just soak into your life uh, again and again and again, you realize how little time we give to the attention of our spiritual life. And this would be one way to begin to do that with greater consistency. Decide also to participate uh, in group life community. Make choices that will free you up so that you can be involved in group life with other people who are more face-to-face and uh, deciding how to really allow the Word of God to seep deeply into your life so that what Jesus invites us into and what he tells us it means to follow him we are actually deciding to do that and many no no one very, does this very well solo in fact there's no indication anywhere in the scripture that this is a solo you know do it yourself engagement it's more in community it's in fellowship with one another it's um, and 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 group life is a is a way to begin to do that and then i would just encourage you to pray 
So we've been calling every, every Wednesday now. We've just been saying, join us in, in prayer with fasting. Set aside something that you normally do, like eat a meal during that day. Set that aside. It could be something else, something you do, like time you spent on social media, uh, time you set before a screen. You set that aside and said, instead, I'm going to set that aside to talk with God. And what you're really talking with God about are the things that will fire your heart up for him and with him. So that the very verses that we're dealing with on Sunday morning are the things that you're like asking God to press into your life so that you take it really um, seriously, that it be embedded into your life, that it produce much joy in your life as you are um, asking him to indeed make you and all of us followers of Jesus. So I invite you to that, right? I want to encourage you to let your relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, catch fire this year. Why not, right? Why not? Why not in the year, uh, having tended the flame and discovering more of God than what you had ever dreamed possible? So we're we're trying to, uh, in these first... uh, kind of like major, three major sections in the first two months uh, of Made for More, we're dealing with the issue of addressing how often we are captive to scarcity, that we live in a culture that is, um, and we live in an, an, abund- an abundant culture in so many ways, and yet we suffer under the myth of scarcity, along with fear, unbelief, and self-centeredness. These are like three really huge strongholds that, that, that kind of tie us into, bind us up around the myth of scarcity. And what we want to do is enter into an awareness of, an experience of the abundance of God, God's abundance, right? And the three areas that we're dealing with, first of all, all through this month has been uh, coming against the, the myth of the scarcity of, of love, kind of that, that uh, emotional scarcity, and that... We want to enter into the abundance of God's love. So every one of us would agree that there really needs to be more love in the world, right? I mean, who who would not look around and say that? So here's the deal. God knows there needs to be more love in the world, so he sent his son Jesus to love the world so that the world might be reconciled to him and that we who, who have been reconciled to him actually believe that Jesus came to that end and for that purpose that we ourselves are now the very people called to move into our world with the love of God. So what the world needs is being supplied through Jesus and through Jesus' people. So, and and there's, there is an abundance of love that God is capable of increasing your capacity to love others. And, and so we began with, Talking about that with First John, saying, here, this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, and if God has loved us in this way, let us love one another, right? And then Bo came last week and talking about, you know, how Jesus was just moved with compassion when he saw the crowds as harassed and helpless, and he said, I, like, I can't take this, this is not right, this is not to be, and I can't do this all myself. I mean, he was unlimited, but he was still limited to the body, his body, right? Now he is gone, <laughs> you know, raised from the dead, ascended heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. Now he's empowering each one of us that we're filled with the Spirit of Jesus so that we are to go and we're to love like this. 
seeing the crowds, we're moved with compassion. And so Bo challenged us in a great way, you know, to have eyes. And 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 not only ask the question, does God does Jesus have our of our heart, but does Jesus have our gut, right? Because the word compassion means to be gut punched, right? Like, oh I can't I can hardly stand it. And so we begin to love in that way. And so what we're discovering here is that it's just not that Jesus is drawing us into God's story of love. It's not love in theory, but love in practice, so which makes it a whole lot harder. I love the theory of love. How many are all for the theory of love? I love, and don't you just love a good, uh, a good, um, a good novel that kind of, I, I don't know if I'd say a romance novel because I don't really read those, but I would say that. You know, maybe, you know, you want a good story, right? And oftentimes in a really good story is this, an epic story is about love and about uh, how love in, in the end conquers. Although there are always, that's always that moment when you don't think it will, right? That, and then, you know, and then resurrection happens. Uh, so Jesus draws us into the story of God's love, not in theory, but in practice. It's risky, it's messy, it's costly, but mostly, as Jesus intends it, it is life-giving both to the one who receives and to the one who gives. And so um, we can talk about this today through this story and this event in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Um, typically known as the parable of the Good Samaritan and the surrounding uh, narrative that goes with that. So I'm, instead of just reading the whole thing, Thing through, I'm just going to read uh, sections as we move along with it. All right, and uh, you may you may follow along in your U version or in uh, your um, actual print Bible. Begin with chapter ten, verse twenty-five. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" What is written in the law, he replied. How how do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Let's look at that for a moment, just just that part. Before Jesus ever gets into the story, I just kind of, I've just put on on this uh, slide kind of how this flows, okay? First, there's the expert and there's Jesus. And you see that he's an expert. He's, uh, some would refer to him as a scribe. He was a lawyer, a a religious lawyer. Um, he, um, He knew the scriptures really, really, really well. He, in his head. (laughs) Like he knew, he knew. Uh, He's an expert. And um, it's just like he came to Jesus and says to test him. And probably the best way to understand that, he came to Jesus to have a conversation in order to entrap Jesus, to trap him. To, to, you know, because the lawyer, he's pretty smart. And Jesus is some kind of renegade rabbi from Nazareth who hasn't had all the formal training that he had had. And so, being uh, confident in his understanding of, of Jewish law, he set out to in, entrap Jesus. Says to test him. 
uh, it's, it's not like he truly wanted, uh, you know, Jesus to teach him. Although he says, he, he stands up to test Jesus and he says, teacher. But that, that's just more like, okay, I'll give you the title, but it's not like, okay, you're the teacher, but it's not like I'm the student. Okay, so teacher, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, he, it could be that he is like, uh, he's kind of wanting to come to argue with Jesus. Uh, I think about how often that's the case for us when we read scriptures, you know. We, a lot of times, rather than just saying, just, well, just teach me, Lord. We, we just want to argue, right? Like, love your enemies. Well, how am I supposed to do that, right? You know, and then on and on it goes, right? Pretty much, we, we position ourselves a lot of times just to, you know, argue with Jesus. Probably, he was quite bothered by Jesus, as most of the scribes and Pharisees were, the religious leaders, because of the way that Jesus was acting and what he was doing and how he was apparently breaking uh, religious law uh, by the way he treated uh, the, the strict laws around Sabbath or um, just like about, you know, about touching people who were... Uh, ill or people who were dead, um, you know, raising the dead and healing lepers and things like that, which would have contam- contaminated him religiously, according to their the law. Um, so he comes and he, he's just saying, you know, what must I do? And and so and Jesus says, well, that's a good question. So you, what's written? Like, what is written? Because that's really important to this man. What is written? And then Jesus says, and, and how do you hear it? Like, what is written and how do you hear it? How do you interpret it? And I, I just want to offer to you that every one of us uh, becomes an interpreter of the law. We become an interpreter of the, even the words of Jesus, even the actions of Jesus. We all interpret what he says. So how, what does it say? What is written? You know? You know, what, what, is, what, is, what is the religious graffiti? It's interesting that the word, uh, Greek word for how is, what is written is the word from which we get our word graffiti. So, you know, but what is written down and uh, how, do, how do you understand it? That really becomes a, a huge issue. How do you understand these things? And every one of us has to, has to do that. We, have, we, we must give an interpretation to, to what is written. And when we give an interpretation of what is written, then, then we uh, in, invariably will need to bring our interpretation of what is written and put it next to Jesus' interpretation of what is written. Okay? And that's what, that's what we're invited to do. That's what he's been invited to do, although he doesn't yet know the full implication of being Jesus, in fact, will become his teacher. And he will, if, if he's will. No, not that he will. He, he may become a learner, a, a, disi- a, a disciple, a learner, one who actually allows Jesus to teach him. And so, um, how, do you, how do you read the law? And so he, he quotes it, and he says, the l- religious lawyer said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, and he nailed it. He nailed us. That's right. How, how, that's how it summed up. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And he got it. He just, he just put it. He put it together. He knew. He knew. He landed right where Jesus wanted him to land in what was written. Okay? Not necessarily in how it's interpreted. So what is, what is written here? Right? And you're to love the Lord with all your heart. 
And it's amazing, like, and mind and soul and, and strength. And so it's, it's amazing how he can, he can quote it. He can actually do that. Um, and, and one has a sense, though, as you move through this, that it was pretty easy for him to quote that, you know. And, and Jesus was going to invite him to do something radically different than, than quote it. Jesus was going to ask him to do it, right? Uh, that's a whole nother matter, isn't it? That's a whole nother matter. In fact, when you unpack those words, I think the Passion Translation says it like this. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Um, so, again, your heart, like your affections, your inner self, the motivations, desires, with your wants. All your wants are to be pointed in his direction. That, that's what would be uh, with all your heart. With your soul, the, the essence of who you are, which is a little harder to get a hold of, but living as a fully living being, pulsating with the life of God because you live by the breath of God. He breathed into you and you became a living soul. We're learned in the creation story. You became a living soul. God breathed his breath into you. So you're to love God with all the breath, with all of, with all of your pulsating life, um, with all your strength, with all your capability and all your potential you're to love him love god as completely as you can and your mind with your mind with your with your thinking and your reasoning with your opinions you're to love god take every thought captive make it obey christ you'll love god with all of your thinking Whew, it's pretty pretty comprehensive isn't it you know if we really uh, i don't know being called to actually do it that 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 was that was really the test right Yeah, I, when I was a kid, I was, I remember two really big verses that were impressed on, on my mind as a child by, by my parents. And I'm thankful for them because by these, these have stayed with me. Oh my goodness, they have shaped so much about me. However, I always, I realized that I always, I, I, I better knew how to quote them than how to live them. Right? Okay. Here's the one. Trust the Lord. I was just a little kid. First one I remember. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Put him first, and he will direct your paths. And all God's people said, amen. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Here's the other one. Um, and you probably have your own too, but mine, this one, another, just young impressed. Maybe it's because they wanted me to get along with my brothers. I am not sure. But anyway, it was this, um, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Our God's people said, amen. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Right? Actually, go do that. <laughs> you, I don't know if you... You probably do understand how... We need to know these truths because these are truths we're actually to live. But just knowing that they exist, that they are there, and being able to hold on to them as essential doctrine or whatever is not the point. The point is they are actually to affect how we live which means they affect who we become, okay?
So this, uh, this lawyer, um, this expert, I won't call him a lawyer because we have lawyers here and I don't want them to feel bad. Um, this expert, though, he, he, was, he wanted a, a discussion, which, which really he should have just left well enough alone. But he didn't. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? So he throws a tough question out. Who is my neighbor? And by that, he just simply wants to like move into, let's move into some discussion about, let's keep it all on the level of a debate. And if we can just keep arguing about this and debating about this, and you have your view and I have my view, and you know, and I can keep trying to prove you wrong, and you can keep trying to, if we can just debate this, then, um, then you know, usually if you just keep debating things, you don't end up really doing anything. But here, here he is, right? And he asked that question, who is my neighbor? I thought it was so interesting that when I looked up neighbor, even in uh, an English uh, uh, dictionary, it says this neighbor, a person who lives close beside others and who thus, by implication, is part of a so-called in-group. That is the group with which an individual identifies both ethnically and culturally neighbor or brother. That was, that was a current definition, definition, and Jesus is about ready to even blow our current definition apart. So Jesus responds with a rather disarming story. And this is the story, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man in his own car, I mean, excuse me, on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day took out two denarii, that's money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then he said to the lawyer or the expert, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's just one sentence in English, captures the trauma. They stripped him of his clothes. They robbed him, stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So that's a pretty desperate situation, right? And if, that, if that's ever happened to you, or if um, literally or figuratively, or if you've ever come across somebody that was like that. Um, this is like, this is, this is a serious situation, right? And there's things, there were things that were spoken in the parable or in the story that we may not catch as readily as the people who were listening to it in that day. Uh, but for instance, just that road, uh, they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so maybe they were just going, maybe he was just going from the city to Jericho, Jerusalem, big city, Jericho, or they were going from the place of worship. Maybe even the man had been at worship or something. He was going back. He'd been at the temple. He's going back to Jericho. Certainly the priest and the Levite. The Levite is a lay 
a lay minister or worker within the temple. And so the priest and Levite, they were maybe probably coming back from their duties at the temple, you know, of the worship of God and the sacrifice and the prayers and all that. So they're all going back. But this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very dangerous road. Uh, in, his, in, in the final sermon of his life, the day before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, told about the dangers of the Jericho Road. And in his words, it's a winding, meandering road. And he's right. He's rightly describing it. It's very conducive to ambushing. In the day of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And as you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over at the man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were all still around, or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was just merely faking it, and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them, uh, to, 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 to allure them over there, and then to seize them, make a quick and easy seizure of their lives, and do the same thing to them, beat them, rob them, and leave them half dead. And so the first question of the, of the priest and the Levite, the first question they asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Right? And that's just like, I mean, that's a self-preservation question. We all ask that question. It's probably a really good thing to ask the question. It's just that if the question becomes the reason not to move to help, you can pretty well talk yourself out of helping in any situation, Right? Um, it could have been that they were saying, this is too dangerous. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm, they could have been saying, I'm too busy. Uh, they could have been saying, well, the guy probably deserved to be beaten up. Well, I wonder what he did, right? Or they just probably said, I'm not getting involved in this one. And so they, they did what, um, what one person described as they did the wide detour. The wide detour. Right, But then there came a Samaritan. Now, this would have been like unheard of <laughs> for Jesus to use a Samaritan as an example. Like certainly this, this outcast, this, this villain, a Samaritan would have been assumed to be a villain. Uh, certainly not a hero. He was certainly playing no prominent place in the story of Jesus. But then a Samaritan came, and then you go, well, what did he do then? You know, Did he just go over and beat that guy more? I mean, that might have been what they were, were thinking. But no, the Samaritan, he, he, did, he did what what Jesus and teaches, intends to teach all of us to do. Now, let me just tell you about the Samaritans a little bit. You, many of you may know this, but you know there was just a great divide between the Samaritans and... Um, and, and the Jews. And so you kind of had to the south, you had Judea, Jerusalem and Judea. And then, and then you had Galilee, where Jesus was, um, you know, born and raised, uh, or raised at least. So he's born in J- Judea, uh, Bethlehem, and he's raised in Nazareth. But between, uh, there's this piece of land called Samaria, which is all part of the northern kingdom, way back in the days of the kings. And uh, they, they all fell because of idolatry before the southern kingdom did. And uh, many of them, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, intermarriage between uh, the invading armies and people and, this, and, and the Jews that lived in Samaria. And so they became known as Samaritans. So they were like not purebred, like they were like 
and and they were and they had their own temple and they didn't believe that Jerusalem temple was the right one and so both excluded each other from their temples and there was tremendous animosity and when Jesus was about 10 years old there was a, there were a whole bunch of samaritans they came down into uh the Jerusalem temple invaded the Jerusalem temple on an occasion and deposited a bunch of of, of the bones of 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 you know well, bones of dead people, they wouldn't be the bones of live people, right? So they deposit a bunch of human remains and bones in uh, the temple, the Jewish temple, further desecrating it. Uh, just there was so much anger. And even in chapter 9 uh, of Luke, um, it, we, we know that Jesus is going with his disciples through Samaria. And uh, halfway through, uh, the disciples were trying to make preparations in a town in Samaria for Jesus and the disciples to spend the night but they simply would not let him do that because they were Jewish and they were traveling to Jerusalem. There was so much animosity. They wouldn't let them stay in Samaria. And the disciples of Jesus, uh, James and John, I think, in particular said, Lord, shall we just right now incinerate these people? I mean, you have power. We want, we've seen you work. Can we just now call down fire on these people and obliterate them? These were the followers of Jesus before Jesus really got through to them. Right? It says that Jesus rebuked them. So just so you understand, like, for him to use the word Samaritan in this story was shocking. But this is what he says. Right? There was the Samaritan traveling the road, came to him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him with compassion. He was gut-kicked. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on the way back. Who, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That's the next question that we want to answer because that's the question that Jesus is answering. Jesus, by the way, changed the question. Not who is my neighbor, but who needs me to be their neighbor? Which man proved to be neighbor? See, it was at first, who is my neighbor? But after the story, Jesus flips the question. And the question is, who proves to be neighbor to the man in need? And by this, Jesus teaches us a great deal. It is not only who is my neighbor. The question is, To whom may I become a neighbor? Who needs me to be their neighbor? I I read uh, this this note uh, on this whole um, exchange. And the the statement is, if we are to find out who our neighbor really is, we must be very critical of our own ideas. (laughs) Because we have our own ideas. But Jesus comes and disrupts all of that. And, and in fact, Jesus must become our teacher, 
right? So, so here's, here's how we may perhaps think about this question. Who is my neighbor? Flip it and say, to whom am I to be a neighbor? Well, first of all, I just noticed that there's a crossing over of barriers. While the priest and the Levite made a wide detour, the Samaritan came right to the man. He didn't cross the road, but he crossed a barrier. Here he is in Jewish country. A Samaritan is in Jewish country now. A Samaritan chooses to love this man, who obviously is a Jew. The Samaritan, who could have all the reasons of prejudice. And besides, he's busy, and he's on his journey. He has a schedule, and he has his things to be done. But he, he is the one who crosses the barrier, who crosses through the barriers of prejudice and fear, because there may be robbers there still. And this could be a setup. But he crosses the barriers and he ministers love to the man. And then, and then so the question is, who, who am I near who needs the help that I can give? Who am I near who needs me? And I, I like the truth that you don't, have to, um, you don't have to have a great emergency to show love. You just have to have the, it's just the opportunity to show up for someone, even in simple ways. Who is there that needs me to listen to them? Who is there that needs me to honor them by knowing their names? Who is there near me that needs me to consistently show up? Who is there that needs my time when I'm tired? Who is there that needs my compassion? Bob Goff who writes a lot about love, says, loving God started to make more sense when I realized that loving a God I couldn't see was like a lot like loving the people I could see whom he had put all around me. Yeah. Who is my neighbor? So I just want to offer to us this, right? That there is a way to expand our capacity to love. There is a way to expand. Okay? Um, let's just say that um, there are times and places that we could probably do a better job of loving. Would you say, would you agree? Let's just at least give, let's just at least give Jesus this. All right. And so what do we learn here? I think, I think we learn here, it says, he says, go and do exactly this, right? Who loved this man that was beaten up? And he said, the one who was kind. And then Jesus says, well, you go and do, and the, the force of the phrase is, you go and do exactly that. Okay? You just go and do exactly that. I, I read this and I go, my goodness, God, how in the world are we going to do this? Because I know that if I think about capacity, I'm just thinking, man, I don't, I, it's not in me. I, I have to have Jesus, Right? Even, even to do, do to others as you would have them do to you. This kind of sums it up there too. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So if we're going to do that, I know we must pray. I know we must ask God to expand our capacity. I know we must ask God to see and feel. I know that we have to spend time in scriptures. We have to let God's word soak into our minds and our hearts. We have to ask his priorities 
to be in our lives. We have to pray his priorities into our lives. And if we don't take the time to do that, it'll be likely that we are never able to really um, love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? Oh, I must not forget this one. I think probably capstone truth of the whole thing. And I just wanted to I, I, I couldn't find any better words than I found from uh, a man who was a, a, a pastor during Hitler's regime who was speaking about this. And here's what he said, which I think is so insightful. We cannot close without mentioning the fact that it is Jesus Christ who is telling us this story. We hear the parable from the lips of him who himself is the good Samaritan of us all and who became our neighbor. When we come to die and all is being left, precisely then he is our neighbor, the neighbor who will not forsake us for he faced the robber death and allowed him to strike him down in order that he might walk with us down this last difficult passage. And when we suffer some distress which nobody else understands or anxieties that deliver us into a terrible loneliness, there is one who is our neighbor because on the cross he submitted himself to imprisonment in the dark dungeon of ultimate loneliness. And when we stand all alone, quivering beneath a sense of awful guilt which nobody else suspects, which could cause our friends to desert us if they knew about it, then here too Jesus is the neighbor who is not shocked by the dark abyss because he came down from heaven and descended into the deepest pits of misery and guilt. Jesus loves us and therefore he finds us. And therefore he also knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves and he still does not drop us. Still he remains our friend our dearest friend. Amen? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. (laughs) We'll never really hear accurately that it means, what it means to be a neighbor to someone else. If we don't allow Jesus to be the good Samaritan neighbor to us. And then, and then, having experienced and presently experiencing the Good Samaritan Jesus, his oil and his wine on our wounds, his care for us, then we too can become those who choose to cross boundaries, find out names, listen to stories, take the time, banish prejudice, and fear. Lose lose our fortress mentality and become a people who actually love God with our whole heart by loving people who are right in front of us. Begin to see people who are near us that we have never seen before. Amen? So I just want to say as we as we pray together this morning, do you, do you need good Samaritan Jesus to touch your heart? 
be to you the one who puts oil and wine on your wounds to help you heal? Do you need to be that? Do you need to be that, that, that person who receives from him? Let Jesus be who he says he is. Amen. And then beyond that, beyond that, are you willing to just let Jesus stretch your capacity by actually seeing those around you who need you to be their neighbor? They may be, it may be your wife in your house that needs you to be their neighbor. It may be your husband. It may be your kids. It may be your actual neighbors. You need to know their names, their story. It may, it may be someone in that proximity who needs someone to be a neighbor to them. It may be someone at work. It may be someone as you're moving along, someone outside your in your neighborhood, but someone who in proximity is placed there so that you may be neighbor to them. Let's just say yes to Jesus who knows how to get God's love into the world. Father, thank you. Blessed be your holy name, your generous name, your understanding name. No one understands like you. You are a good Samaritan to each of us where we're busted up and struggling you're a good Samaritan to us. And, oh God, you can empower us. You want to empower us to go and do exactly like this for others. In Jesus' name. Amen.